right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 64, coming to you live this week. As always, I am Zach Follador, joined by my co-host from down in the Lone Star State, Steve Helwick. Steve, we had a good week. Uh, some great Mac games this weekend. Steelers didn't look great in the NFL. Cardinals got by the skin of their teeth against the Vikings. Oh. <laughs> How you feeling, though, man? I'm doing excellent. Yeah, that that card that Cardinals over Vikings win was a pleasant surprise for me because I thought that field goal was going to go in indoor stadium and all that. So it feels feels good to start two and zero, and it was also a great week of a lot of college football games, some surprise results. The Penn State Auburn whiteout was probably my favorite college football game of the weekend, but there were some other fun ones too. Western Michigan Pitt, we'll talk about and. I liked seeing Cincinnati over Indiana. That was a fun game in the early slate. There were a couple others, Fresno State beating UCLA under Jay Kaner's heroics. A lot of a lot of great games this weekend. And I thought this this was an interesting week to rank teams. Yeah, it really was. And uh, you mentioned Fresno State there. Talk about a talk about a pleasant surprise this year. Um, And I know the uh, obviously they hired uh, Caitlin DeBoer from from Indiana a couple years ago. He seems to really have that program going in the right direction. But uh, let's uh, let's jump right into it here, Steve. Obviously, you mentioned a couple Mac games there briefly. Let's do a quick week recap here. Week three. Uh, what was your performance of the week? I'll, I'll let you go first. I think there's there's a couple here, a couple obvious ones, but um, I'll give you the floor first. What was your kind of your your impressive performance of the week, whether it be a team or an individual, whatever the case may be. I'm going to go with Western Michigan's offense, and that seems like kind of an obvious choice. And the Caleb Ellaby to Corey Crooms connection, also Caleb Ellaby to Sky Moore just dominated Pitt. This was a game where it felt like wide receivers were open downfield almost every single play. And it felt like a bunch of backyard football on this. It was a fun old fashioned shootout 44, 41, both quarterbacks were lighting up the opposing defenses and it was whatever team would make a mistake offensively first in the fourth quarter would lose. And that was Pitt when they had that turnover on downs with uh, just about three minutes left remaining in the game. So that it was a such an interesting game between Western Michigan and Pitt. I have to give the hats off to the Broncos quarterback, Caleb Ellaby, who had a laser of an arm that game. And then their wide receivers that went off and burned Pitt's defensive backs to secure probably the biggest victory of the Tim Lester era, I'd say. Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch to say that, Steve. I mean, this is our first victory over a power five team since Tim Lester took over in, uh, in 2017. And you're, and you're exactly right. I mean, Caleb Ellaby was electric in that game, 337 yards, three touchdowns. I also, I got to give a special shout out to uh, Western Michigan wide receiver, Sky Moore, the Pittsburgh kid coming into his hometown and torching the Panthers for 11 catches, 124 yards and a touchdown. I got to be honest, my, my performance of the week, obviously, yes, I, I would give it to Western Michigan as well, but just in an in interest uh, in an effort to be a little bit different, I gotta, I gotta say this, um, even in defeat, I was very impressed with what I saw from Buffalo on Saturday. I think mm-hmm. this team is, um, I, I, again, I'll be honest, I expected them to struggle a lot more this season than it seems like they're going to. The offense, the, the, the run game is still strong. Dylan McDuffie had him, himself a breakout game, 15 carries, 92 yards, and a touchdown for him. Kevin Marks also with that uh, seven-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter to cut the game to three points. I really liked what I saw from Buffalo. Obviously, Coastal Carolina, one of the better group of five teams this year coming out of the Sun Belt. 
uh, going to be favored up the, at the top of the Sun Belt along with App State and, and Louisiana. Buffalo in this game, though, 47 carries, 262 yards, three touchdowns. That's 5.6 yards per carry. Steve, it seems like, you know, we had speculated on this podcast here, maybe they would let Kyle Van Trees air it out a little bit more this year and, and depend a little bit more on the passing game. But watching this game on Saturday against Coastal Carolina, it seems like that kind of run first, pound the ball mentality is still going to be the identity that Buffalo's offense uh, goes with this year. And based on what I saw on Saturday, I feel like they'll be able to have success with that going forward. I agree with it. And it's a little tough to see that Kevin Marks hasn't got his thing going yet because I thought he he could lead college football in rushing this year, but it doesn't yeah. appear that he's on track to do that so far. But luckily for the Bulls, they're getting nice support in the running game, especially with Dylan McDuffie, who's emerged as one of the top two halfbacks on this roster, taking over from the Jarrett Patterson, Kevin Marks backfield. And now it's the Kevin Marks, Dylan McDuffie backfield. Nice 92 per yard performance last week. And McDuffie's delivered all season long. It was also nice to see Ron Cook Jr. have a 63-yard run in there and also contribute to the rushing game. That was a that was an interesting play that he had, which ended up, I believe, that set up a touchdown for the Bulls, where it was off of a fumble. Where, yes. yeah, so that that was a very interesting play that Cook had in that game. So, yeah, Buffalo's Buffalo's rushing game's done well, but I think the most impressive thing about the Bulls this year is three linemen. Ter- turned over this offseason, and they still haven't given up a sack. That's only yeah. two sacks they've allowed since October 2019 when Vantries took over as a starter. That is an insane stat. Two, uh, two sacks in uh, what almost two calendar years is pretty pretty crazy and, and a very good reflection of, of the offensive line and the culture they've built there at Buffalo. Uh, let's look at the other end of the spectrum here, Steve. There's a couple other – you know, as I mentioned, there's a couple good choices for performance of the week. Now let's look at the other side here. Disappointment of the week. Again, a couple easy choices here, but I, again, I'll let you go first. My disappointment of the week is pretty easy for me. It's the Toledo Rockets. Yeah. This I thought the 14.5 point spread over Colorado State was pretty generous. This Colorado State team didn't even come close to beating an FCS South Dakota State program at home. And then the next week they lose to a, they blow a 14 point lead to a Vanderbilt team that also got boat raced by an FCS team. I thought this Colorado State team was down in the dumps with the UNLVs and the I mean Akrons and ULMs of college football. And to watch Toledo not being able to score a single touchdown on that Rams defense was just very deflating, especially after the performance the Rockets had in South Bend, where they were about 90 seconds away from upsetting a top 10 Notre Dame team. And Toledo's running game went nowhere. They averaged 0.8 yards per carry collectively. Carter Bradley took four sacks. Daquan Finn took another two. Colorado State's front seven had them in the clamps. Toledo couldn't get anywhere. And then penalties were another thing that just destructed Toledo because they had a go-ahead touchdown in the first half, which was wiped by a penalty. And there were so many pre-snap flags that they drew. Overall, they finished 11 penalties, 89 yards. It was a very disappointing performance by a Toledo team that last week I would have said is top of the back. This week, I I don't even know where they belong. I I, I think they're a bottom-half MAC team if they're going to keep performing like this. I, I agree, Steve. I was, um, admittedly, I didn't get to see a ton of the Toledo-Colorado State game, but just looking at the box score, reading about it, looking at the highlights, it, 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 the, it's such a stark contrast from what we saw two weeks ago against Notre Dame. And if I'm being honest, um, 
this is I it, how to say this. This feels like a staple of Toledo under Jason Candle, where they'll give you a great performance and then they'll follow it up with a dud like this. And I I have said this on the podcast consistently that I feel like Toledo year in and year out. I'm not taking anything away from Jason Candle on the recruiting trail. They bring in one of the top two or three classes every year in the MAC. They have the best one of you know the best. Um, they have the, some of the best talent in the conference, and yet they can't seem to put it all together. And this is just another example of that. I was very very disappointed. Similar to you, you know, after that game against Notre Dame last week, I think in our our hustle belt power rankings, I had them up at second in the MAC last week. But I dro- I'm going to have to drop them down, as you said. I agree with the bottom half. Uh, of, of the conference uh, assessment that you just made. However, for my disappointment of the week, I, I got to go with Ball State. If I'm a Cardinals fan now, it's, it's time to hit the panic button. Things don't seem right. They haven't seemed right since week one when they, you know, struggled against Western Illinois. I mean, you look at this game against Wyoming on Saturday, you're down 31 nothing at halftime. 45 to 12 was the final in Laramie. Um, you know, Drew Plitt, eight for 14, 60 yards and an interception, which was a pick six. I mean, this is a team that last year um, really, I mean, was really efficient on offense, really, you know, as a team really was well-rounded all around. And this game against Wyoming, you don't even break two, 300 yards of offense. You finish the day 260 yards. You run the ball 41 times for 118 yards. That's 2.9 yards per attempt. I got I mean, there's similar to Toledo, Steve, there's too much talent on this team, especially on this offense for Ball State to be giving us these results. And it seems like both of these teams that were picked, you know, towards the top of the math this year. I don't know. They both seem to be in a bad way right now and need to kind of get back on the right track fast because, uh, you know, this is a, you're, you're at a you know, one and two season can turn south on you real quick. Yes, and this Ball State team entering the season had so much hype because of the returning talent, because they only lost two starters from last season and Antoine Davis and Antonio Phillips, and the whole squad was coming back. And Ball State hasn't really shown that this year. I I put the blame in the Wyoming loss more on the offense than the defense because there was a pair of pick sixes, and there was another drive where Ball State fumbled and in their own territory and Wyoming capitalized with a short field. So that's 21 easy points that Wyoming scored off of the three ball state turnovers they committed. They've been very turnover prone. Also drew Plitt took six sacks in that game. That was an issue last year, but now that ball state's not assembling anything on offense, the sacks and the picks are just hurting that much more. The running game hasn't been established yet. Ty Evans hasn't taken the field this year, but Will Jones and Carson Steele haven't been able to get anything consistent going in that area. And also, Justin Hall seemed to save the team in that first game against Western Illinois. Where is Justin Hall? You have a talent that doesn't come around Muncie, Indiana too much on your team. Somebody that can run any route, dominate in any part of the field, run the jet sweep. You can get the ball in Justin Hall's hands if you want to. And I thought the three catches and two rushes that he had on – Saturday just weren't enough and I'd actually focus on Justin Hall maybe to bolster the run game at this point because it hasn't looked pretty and Justin Hall has usually been pretty efficient when running those jet sweeps and taking handoffs for the Cardinals. Completely agree and and it seems generally speaking like the creativity isn't there on the offense this year that we had last season with the Cardinals. So we mentioned you know our two kind of disappointments of the week Toledo and Ball State 
We'll talk about them a little bit more here later. They're actually going to open up Mac play the two of them this, this Saturday, which certainly an interesting game because it's uh, you know, two teams not heading in a great direction right now. Uh, so just a, a quick recap of all of our, our results from week three here, our FCS games, Miami, uh, knocked off Long Island 42 to 7, Akron over Bryant 35 to 14, Bowling Green over Murray State 27 to 10. Congrats to all three of those squads for uh, getting their first wins of the year. Ohio, the struggles continue in Athens 49 to 14. They lose to Louisiana. They traveled down to Lafayette last Thursday and uh, you know, there, there, there were some times in the first half of that game where it looked like Ohio had some fight, but got away from them pretty quickly. Uh, we mentioned Coastal Carolina over Buffalo 28 to 25. NIU went into the big house and got smacked 63 to 10. Certainly no, uh, no, no shame in that. Although I think a lot of people probably thought the Huskies might keep that a little bit closer. Uh, we mentioned Western Michigan with a great win over Pitt 44 to 41. Uh, Kent State went into Iowa City in the Kinnick Stadium. Not an easy place to play at all. Lost to number five Hawkeyes, 30 to seven. Didn't think that was a bad performance from the Golden Flashes, though. You know, a couple uh, fourth down conversions that didn't go their way. Might have swung that game a little bit in their favor. Eastern Michigan, 42 to 28 over UMass. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Eastern Michigan here later in the show as well. It seems like we might have a quarterback controversy there in Ypsilanti. We mentioned Ball State getting blown out in Wyoming, 45-12. Colorado State 22 to 6 over Toledo and then Central Michigan went down to Death Valley and Baton Rouge and uh, lost to the uh, LSU Tigers and Coach O 49 to 21. So I think obviously the Western Michigan win probably the, the, the signature win thus far of the season for the conference. We've had a couple near misses, but that was our first, uh, the Max first power five scalp of the year. So uh, certainly a nice performance from the Broncos there. Let's look at our games we got this week, uh, Steve. Week four here. We got one FCS matchup this week, which we won't, uh, we won't bother too much with Northern Illinois taking on Maine on Saturday at 2.30. The Huskies looking get, to get back to 500 after losing their last two. Uh, first game, let's take a look at here, Steve. We got a, a nice little uh, group of five non-conference mashup. The, the Florida International Golden Panthers and Butch Jones traveling up to Mount Pleasant to take on Central Michigan on Saturday at noon. Central Michigan, a nine and a half point favorite in this game. The over under set at 56 and a half. And, uh, and Steve, uh, Florida International, this is a team a couple years ago. They seem to have some momentum, you know, 2016 through 2018. You go to, or I'm sorry, 2017 through 2019, you go to three straight bowls. Then last year, uh, you know, you go 0 and 5 in, in the shortened season. And then this year, you know, you're, you open up, uh, you know, you got a win against Long Island in week one, but then you lose to Texas State in overtime in week two. And they got blown out by Texas Tech in Lubbock last week. You got former Maryland quarterback Max Bortenschlager at quarterback. But I still, as, this, as the, uh, the spread would indicate, Steve, I think Chippewas are certainly the better team here. They're a little bit banged up. Uh, curious to get your thoughts on this matchup in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, Central Michigan did have the performance that they wanted against LSU. It didn't exactly mirror how they performed against Missouri, but I thought we saw some promising signs on offense, especially with wide receiver Ja'Cory Sullivan, who really tore it up in that game, had a 78-yard touchdown reception, topped 100 yards, and was really the only source of Central Michigan's offense in that game. Jacob Sermon by no means had a bad performance, but in what seems to be a theme from the Mac this week, he took a ton of sacks and offensive lines in the Mac just haven't performed very well in non-conference play, which has made the offenses as a whole not look as good. 
And defensively, that is about as rough as a defensive performance as we've seen from the Chippewas in the McIlwain era, where they weren't able to pressure the quarterback much. And LSU's wide receivers were getting open, getting easy yards on them. And the Tigers quarterback, Max Johnson, had five touchdowns and nearly three for 400 yards. Central Michigan should see improvements across the board defensively this week playing against FIU. FIU did have a kind of a head-scratching loss to Texas State, which looks a little more confusing now that Texas State lost to Incarnate Word last week. Yeah. But I like how FIU's built with their starting running back, Devontae Price. I think he could be an NFL talent. We saw Price have 100-yard games in his first two games of the season, including 165 yards on five carries and three touchdowns against FCS opponent LIU. Still put up good stats against Texas State, although Texas Tech Texas Tech has been a pretty good defense this season, holding Houston to zero points in the second half and also shutting down their next two opponents with moderate success. So Texas Tech really stopped Price from putting up numbers on them, but I still think Price might do some damage to Central Michigan. I think this game's going to be closer than the nine-and-a-half-point spread, but I do like the Chippewas early in this one. I do think that Central Michigan has a lot of good names up front and in the linebacking core, which should help them win this one. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the 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 strength for me, um, or I should say the the advantage to me, I think I do, I like, my concerns with Central Michigan's defense come more on on the back end uh, and, and, you know, through, through the, through the air, I think their front seven and, and stopping the run is, is a little bit better. I mean, even against, uh, LSU on Saturday, 24 carries for 84 yards for the Tigers, that's only three and a half yards of carry. You'll live with that anytime you're playing an sec team. Now I understand a part of that is that, you know, as you mentioned, uh, through the air, they were getting just about anything that they wanted. But again, you also mentioned the, the, the run game for, uh, for Florida International. It seems to me kind of like that's what they want to do, their identity. They want to establish the run with Devontae Price. You know, Max Bortenschlager, uh, as I mentioned, the, the former uh, Maryland Terrapin, you know, he's, um, you know he's, he's more of a game manager than anything. You know, he's thrown the ball 78 times here through three games, so a little bit over 25 a game where I guess that would be 26 a game, um, which I, th- I would, I would guess is, is below the national average, but yeah, I think the only thing that concerns me, not, I shouldn't say the only thing, but something that concerns me uh, for the Chippewas right now just happens to be the, 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 the injury situation. They've had a bunch of injuries at wide receiver. They've had a bunch of injuries at running back. Darius Bracey is out for six weeks. Now Laquan Johnson is out. Ja'Cory Sullivan is questionable. I mean, they got a lot of injuries at the skill positions. And um, I think if, if, if those guys can all go, or at least some of those guys can go, I still think their talent will prevail here, but I do agree with you. I think nine and a half points seems like a bit much. Uh, I, I see this one. Yeah. I, I feel like this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. This feels like a, I don't know, 24, 17, 27, 20, something like that to me. Yes. I, I could definitely see the game taking shape in that fashion. Yeah. So um, that one will be, again, that'll be at uh, on new at noon, excuse me, on Saturday in Mount Pleasant. Uh, Central Michigan looking to get back to 500 on the year. Uh, Next up, we got Bowling Green traveling up to Minnesota. Bowling Green got their first win of uh, of the season, their first win in almost two years, in fact, uh, over um, over Murray State on Saturday. They travel up to Minnesota. I got to be honest, Steve, uh, this the Minnesota performance against Colorado on Saturday 
one of the more uh, impressive performances that I saw in week two, Colorado, no, nobody's going um, nobody's gonna to mistake them for a national championship contender. But they did, you know, they gave Texas A&M a good game in, uh, in, in week two. Minnesota went into Boulder on Saturday and smacked the Buffaloes 30 to nothing outgained the Buffaloes 441 to 63 in this game. You know, we were worried uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were previewing the Miami and Minnesota game, and we were speculating on what's going to happen to the Minnesota rushing attack with, uh, with Mo Ibrahim uh, tearing his Achilles tendon. Well, uh, Trey Potts has, has stepped into that role and, and acquitted himself quite well. He had 120 yards rushing and three touchdowns against the Buffaloes on Saturday. Uh, 70 carries for 335, 333 yards and five touchdowns on the year, almost five yards a carry. Bowling Green, a 31 and a half point uh, underdog in this game. And Steve, to me, this feels like the type of game where, you know, the Big Ten team in Minnesota really wants to establish the run. Bowling Green really struggles defensively against the run. I feel like this one could maybe it might get ugly up in, uh, in the Twin Cities. I agree with that, but first we have to acknowledge the progress Bowling Green has made. This was a team that I thought might finish. They could finish winless and even lose to an FCS team. They played a Murray State team, which had Cincinnati tied seven to seven and a half a week ago. It was concerning. And the fact that Bowling Green has a, I know they were tied 10 to 10 and a half, but the fact that they dominate the second half and get a comfortable win, a, a feeling that they haven't tasted in two years for the people that have stuck with this program it is very impressive what Bowling Green's done this year. And even coming within three points and a field goal of South Alabama in week two and how they were only down eight at half to Tennessee at week one, these are the signs of progress that you want to see in the program because we know Bowling Green's not winning four or five games this year. They're, they're not ready for that yet. But the yeah, fact yeah. that they're not getting beat like a rented mule every single Saturday <laughs> – is such a good sign for this team. And I think it starts a lot on defense because they held South Alabama to only 22 points, and they have a lot of talent in that offense with Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert. They held Murray State to 10, and I said at halftime against Tennessee, Tennessee only had 14 points on them and only 35 for the game. Tennessee's offense looked a lot better against Pitt and their FCS opponent later on this season than they did against Bowling Green. So Bowling Green's defense has shown very noticeable improvements this year. Darren Anders is the name to watch there. That's done pretty well this season. Also, Matt McDonald's done a much better job at taking care of the ball, and he's had better throws this year. I think he's throwing with more spiral, more laser, more laser focus on his throws, and his completion percentage has skyrocketed, promising to see him 22 of 28 last week. With that being said, I don't think Bowling Green's ready for an opponent of Minnesota's caliber this weekend. This is going to be a step up from Tennessee. Minnesota knows how to run the ball, whether Muhammad Ibrahim is in there or not. And Trey Potts put up about 180 yards on Miami's defense, and he's certain to do probably just as much on Bowling Green's defense if he wants to. Also, Trey Potts, another 120-yard, three-touchdown performance last week. Minnesota's going to run the ball until it stops working. Tanner Morgan was a great quarterback for them two years ago, but right now Morgan kind of takes a backseat to what they have established in the run game and their massive offensive line known as the Minnesota Moving Company, which has done wonders for blocking for the run this season. The Minnesota Moving Company is one of the best nicknames for an offensive line you, you could ever have. I, I love it. Um, yeah, and, and I, you are right. I, I didn't mean to dismiss the progress of what we've seen from Bowling Green this year. And specifically, 
you mentioned Matt McDonald. I think that uh, he, to me, is the most improved player in, in the conference this year. I mean, you look at his stats from last year, uh, not, not great, you know, not great at all. I mean, this is a guy who completed, uh, what did he complete? 43% of his passes last year for Bowling Green, one touchdown, six interceptions. You look through three games this year, 71% of his com- uh, passes have been complete. He's already surpassed his yardage total from last year through three games. And he's already surpassed his touchdown total from last year. He's thrown two touchdowns, only one last year to go with six interceptions. So really, really do like with what I'm seeing from Bowling Green. I know, Steve, we talked in our season preview of Bowling Green. We mentioned that if the the Falcons don't show signs of progress this year, that Scott Leffler might not be around to see year four. But if things continue to progress like this for the rest of the season, I think you've seen enough if you're a Bowling Green fan to say, okay, Leffler has this going in the right direction. Let's see what we can do in the fourth year under his, uh, under his leadership. Yes. And I think that Bowling Green's shown enough progress so far this year where improvements, all you can see, and you can't just cycle through coaches forever, hoping one just magically lifts it up in two years because Bowling Green's not at the point where they can magically get lifted up right now. So I I'd give Leffler another shot because I think that these first three weeks have been major progress for Bowling Green. And who knows, wins over Akron and Ohio might be for the taking this year. And that would already be an improvement over a team that hasn't won since 2019 before last week. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, you look at in, in this game here specifically, I mean, this Minnesota defense Um, You know, they gave up 45 points to Ohio State in week one. Obviously, that's Ohio State. There's a lot of talent there. Week two against Miami, though, I mean, the Red Hawks were able to put up 26 points against the Gophers. And when you look at the box score that game, I mean, Miami actually outgained Minnesota there, 341 to 287. You know, uh, Brett Gabbert had, you know, 200 yards passing through for two touchdowns. Jack Sorensen, six receptions for 97 yards. So, again, this is not me saying that Bowling Green is going to win this game or or keep this game within a touchdown or anything like that. But I do think there may be some success to be had against this Golden Gophers defense. Uh, And, again, um, you know, the, the, the spread in this one reflects uh, what people think about Minnesota, especially after that dominant performance against, against Colorado last week, uh, Minnesota, a 31 and a half point favorite in this one, 51.5 your total there. This one also kicks Saturday at noon. Uh, another Mac big 10 matchup in this, uh, week four here, Ohio travels to Evanston to take on, uh, Pat Fitzgerald and the Northwestern Wildcats, Northwestern, a 14 and a half point favorite in this game, 47 and a half, the total here, this one also kicking at noon. Uh, Steve, you know, Ohio has definitely been the disappointment of the season thus far in the Mac. Well, I should say one of the disappointments of the season thus far. Not a lot going right for the Bobcats right now. But I tell you what, not much going right for the Wildcats up in Northwestern either. I mean, you week one, you lose to Michigan State at home. Last week, you go down to Durham and you lose to a Duke team that lost to Charlotte earlier this year. Sandwich that around a uh, uninspiring 24 to six win over FCS Indiana state in week two. Uh, these are two teams right now that it seems like they're really trying to kind of find their identity and neither of them have been very successful thus far. Yes. I think Northwestern you could say is the most disappointing team in college football this season. I know they lost 60% of their production, but when you're a top 10 team, from the previous season, you hope to at least fit the mold of a top 25 team the next year. And Northwestern just 
they haven't been able to find an offense with their five-star quarterback transfer, Hunter Johnson from Clemson. He looked okay in the Michigan State game, but the last two games, it's looked more like he did in 2019 when he completed just 46% of his passes and had one touchdown pass as a team starter that year. So they, they went with Andrew Marty, who almost led a comeback against Duke. And I think if Marty played the whole game, Northwestern would have been in solid shape there. They were down as much as 30 to seven and they only lost by seven points in that game. So Northwestern's defense really stepped up and didn't allow a single second half point in that game. And I trust Northwestern's defense still, even if their offense isn't, isn't really clicking like it did in 2020, but this is Ohio that they're facing and Ohio is, is in bad shape as almost any program in the country right now. They did look competitive against Louisiana toward the end of that second quarter and at the beginning of the third quarter, but otherwise the Ohio defense was just letting the ball fly over their head throughout the game. Levi Lewis had a sensational performance from passing four different rushers attained 60 yards on this Ohio defense and the Bobcats, they didn't have anything consistent going on offense all night. They were switching quarterbacks left and right between Curtis Rourke and Armani Rogers. We were seeing Rogers have some success with a run. And every once in a while, Rourke would deliver a dime to Ty Walton, who had a heck of a game receiving. But Ohio still didn't show the they, they didn't show what we needed to see out of the Bobcats. And right now they're 0-3. And I don't know where that next win's coming for this team at the moment. And I think this game against Northwestern, it's going to be a brutal, low-scoring slugfest. But I do think that the Wildcats have enough talent on defense, especially to limit the, the Bobcats. And I think that Evan Hall in the running game for Northwestern is going to take them to a slight lead, a slight win. I'm going to say Northwestern. I'm going to say Ohio covers and Northwestern wins this one by about a score of 23 to 13. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're about spot on there. I was thinking, honestly, I was thinking this was even going to be a little lower scoring than that. I, I was thinking this one has like a 17-7 feel or, or <laughs> something like that. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the two-quarterback situation at Ohio, and I got to be honest, I, it, it doesn't – if you're going to do a two-quarterback system, there's a way to do it. And – Ohio is not doing it very effectively right now. It seems like Tim Albin, you know, he I, watching that Louisiana game on uh, on Thursday, you know, he inserts Armani Rogers in into the game to try and get this offense going. It's it's a you know a third and ten. Armani Rogers runs for fifteen yards, picks up a first down, keeps the drive alive. It seems like he's starting to get some momentum, and then he immediately takes him out of the game and puts Curtis Rourke back in. So it's like almost like he's not allowing either quarterback to get comfortable in the game. Rourke did have a, have a nice touchdown pass, as you mentioned to, uh, to Ty Walton, who Ty Walton seems to be just about the only bright spot for, uh, for the, the Bobcats right now. And then you look at the other side, Northwestern. I mean, you mentioned former five-star quarterback, Hunter Johnson, his stat line against FCS, Indiana state nine for 16, 66 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And then this past week against, uh, against Duke, you mentioned, you know, he got pulled after throwing three interceptions. He was six for 16, 75 yards, three interceptions. If he doesn't throw those three interceptions, as you mentioned, um, you know, Northwestern might win this game. So this feels to me like, man, I, this is like of, if you were going to rank the, however many games, 60 plus, college football games on this coming Saturday, if you were going to rank them in terms of watchability, I think this one might be last on the list. <laughs> That's what Northwestern football does to you. I mean, they, they win a lot of times like this, but 
Pat Fitzgerald's teams know how to play some ugly football. And I think that this game is going to be oh, no exception to that role. Yeah. I think uh, if, if there was one, if we're looking at the lines and the totals here, if there was one number on this entire list that really sticks out to me, I think it's that 47.5 total in this game. That feels too high to me. This, you know, I don't know if these two teams are going to break 40. Um, so we'll see what happens in Evanston on Saturday at noon. Props to you if you actually watch this game. Uh, and again, Northwestern, a 14.5 point favorite here, 47.5 your total. Uh, moving, uh, on to, uh, another noon kick here on Saturday, interesting matchup here, Miami and, uh, and Blaine Gabbard and the Red Hawks traveling to West point to take on the army black Knights army and 8.5 point favored in this game, 51 and a half year total. Uh, last time these two teams met in West point was an awesome game back in 2018, 31, 30, two overtime victory for the black Knights. And, uh, Steve, we were talking, uh, before we started recording here, black Knights have been really, really impressive this year, knocking off Western Kentucky a couple weeks ago and uh, boat race in Connecticut and Georgia state. Otherwise, uh, the army's got a, a solid squad this year. Yes, and usually Army's the team that runs the clock and they score after long methodical possessions. This year, it feels like Army's scoring in a hurry and they're passing more than ever this yeah. season. So that's really expanded the offense. Right now, they're eighth in points per game in the country and they're up there in total offense in the rushing game, third best running team in the country so far. And Christian Anderson, I think, is a tremendous quarterback for Army at running and he's throwing the ball with success too he had six throws against wku and most of them were pretty far downfield and he had a touchdown in there so far he's completing 75 percent of attempts this season then you know what army's going to do in the rushing game they have so many different play calls there in the triple option and teams just haven't been able to solve it i know chuck martin went on a long 12 minute tangent about it in his press conference this year about how tough army is and how he cannot train miami players to be as physically and mentally tough as them he just needs to get them for 60 minutes so that's mm. going to be Miami's focus this week so that was an interesting press conference he had but I do think that this Red Hawks team is a viable challenger to the Black Knights because they played six excellent quarters of football in a row they were down 21 to three at halftime to Minnesota and almost came back in that game and just lost by five points to the Golden Gophers a Golden Gophers team that we've really seen its true potential after beating Colorado 30 to nothing last week we already talked a little about Minnesota, but going back to Miami is this team, I think has a lot of talent. I think they were just victims of a tough schedule to start the year in Cincinnati and playing Minnesota, because I like almost every piece of this team. They might be the most balanced team in the Mac in terms of what they have to offer defensively. And I think that we saw their pass rushing finally come to life again against Long Island of the FCS They had four tackles, uh, four sacks, 11 tackles for loss in that game. They were applying pressure left and right. And meanwhile, the offense was cooking with its regularity from the 2019 season. And Jack Sorensen, when you get Jack Sorensen involved in this offense, good things are going to happen. He has maybe the best set of hands in the Mac. And Sorensen is no stranger to getting good contested catches, had 86 yards last Saturday. And I think that Miami is going to compete against Army and it should be an interesting clash of styles between the teams when they meet in this game in West Point. It is. Yeah, yes. it is. When they meet so, in West Point on Saturday morning. I think this yeah, is going to be so, a fun one. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'll, I'll be honest. I um, 
eight and a half feels like too many points for me in this game. I, I really do think Miami, I'm not going to say I think Miami goes into West Point and wins this game, but Miami, you look back at their performances. I agree with what you were saying. I was, um, I was disappointed in their week one performance against Cincinnati, but then you consider all of the injuries they had that week. And obviously, you know, you see how Cincinnati's looked since then. Uh, this is, you know, one of the top, you know, best teams in the country. I, I really like what this Miami team has. They seem more balanced than a lot of other teams in the MAC. And I love what they've done with, uh, with, with, you know, Keon Mosey as he's stepping into the running back role. Uh, Brett Gabbert seems to be finding his footing. Obviously the defense is going to be put in, in uh, a bit of a a strain this week, taking on that triple option. Uh, But I really, I also, I love what I've seen from Ivan Pace at the linebacker spot. Uh, You know, you got Cameron Butler on the defensive line and uh, Lonnie Phelps as well. Those guys are going to need to step up this week if, if they're going to have a chance in this game. But I think they will. I really like this team and they're still to me being really overlooked. And again, I feel like Miami has the talent in this game to, to keep this to a touchdown. I mean, on our, on offense for army, you got to focus on Christian Anderson. He's your leading passer and your leading rusher, but defensively, um, you know, for, for the black Knights, you look at, you know, especially I look at the, the Western Kentucky game, obviously uh, uh, Zappy, the, the quarterback for Bailey Zappy for, for uh, Western Kentucky has been putting up numbers on everyone this year, but I mean, they passed for 400 yards in that game, you know, almost 500 yards of total offense for the Hilltoppers. I'm not saying that Miami's going to do that, but this feels like a one score game to me. And I, I really do. I, I still don't understand the kind of, the fact that, or the extent to which Miami has been overlooked this year. I think this is a team that's getting ready to make some noise once Mac play starts. And I do think, I do think they have a chance to go into West Point and steal this one. We'll see what happens in West Point. Certainly a, uh, an, an awesome venue, a great place to play. Uh, my army though, again, an eight and a half point favorite in this one, the over under here, 51.5. That one kicks at noon on Saturday on CBS sports network. Next up, we got another really, really good group of five matchup here. Western Michigan coming off of that huge victory at Pitt on Saturday. Uh, They're coming home to Waldo Stadium in Kalamazoo, taking on Nick Starkle and the San Jose State Spartans. The 2020 Mountain West Conference champions ended the year last year, ranked at uh, number 25, even after losing to Ball State in the Arizona Bowl. Uh, Western Michigan, a little bit over a field goal favorite here, three and a half total in this one, 63.5 feels like there could be a lot of points in this game. Steve, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is a really intriguing matchup for me. I don't know if I'm going to go with a lot of points in this game because I think San Jose State's strength this year has been their defense. Nick Starkle just hasn't looked right this season and he's barely completing over 50% of his passes on the year, which is not the production that he had last year in 2020 when he was he was excellent all of last season he still hasn't found that magic he looked good against an fcs opponent but he, he kind of struggled against hawaii's defense and against usc this season has already thrown four picks this season after throwing seven total in last year's season so yeah San Jose State's offense hasn't done the numbers that they needed to. And I guess why they only scored 17 points. And I think a big factor in there was missing their bulldozer running back, Tyler Nevins, probably my, he's probably one of my five favorite players to watch in college football. He was out for that game for undisclosed reasons. I'm not sure if he will return against Western Michigan, but Nevins could give the Broncos defense some problems, but we also saw last week what the Broncos 
defense, how they react to the passing game. So I think Starkle might be able to find a little more of his touch because Kenny Pickett had six, six touchdown passes and almost 400 yards against that defense last week. So I'm interested to see how Starkle performs against Western Michigan's defensive backs. Now, on the other hand, I think San Jose State has a better defense in this matchup. I want to see if Western Michigan can replicate what they did against Pitt against the Spartan defense because Western Michigan has a slew of talented receivers and Corey Kroom, Sky Moore, uh, Jalen Hall, a few more. And I think that Caleb Ellaby is going to, I think he might have his work cut out for him against this San Jose State defense led by Cade Hall, who is an excellent pass rusher for the team and had 10 sacks a year ago. So I think he's a name to watch out for in this one. But yeah, with, this, this is an intriguing matchup. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, the thing that worries me if I'm a Western Michigan fan in this game is that I know, as you mentioned, you know, the San Jose State offense hasn't, uh, hasn't put up the numbers that you might have expected thus far this year, but they are very dependent on the pass to get the ball going. And the pass defense for Western Michigan thus far, even going back to last year, has not been great. I mean, the Spartans currently 16th in the country in passing yards per game at a little bit over 317. Then they're also 120th in the country in, uh, in, in rushing yards per game at only 85.7. So they're going to try and pass the ball. And I'm sure Nick Starkle watched that film of Kenny Pickett throwing six touchdowns against this secondary last week. And he probably loves what he sees. And I, I could imagine San Jose State's going to try to air the ball out here. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the, the kind of drop-off in completion percentage for Starkle, you know, and, and as you said, barely completing 50% of his passes this year. I think part of the reason for that is you look at this team last year, they've, they've lost their two uh, leading receivers from last season, Bailey Gaither and, and Trey Walker, both moved on. Neither of them, but, you know, both of them over 40 catches and 600 yards last year in that eight game season. So certainly they're, they're struggling to replace those guys. Uh, but I think still, I mean, Nick Starkle, this is a guy that has, has proven uh, his worth as a quarterback, a couple stops in the SEC before kind of finding his level in, uh, in San Jose. Obviously, Steve, another thing that we got to talk about here as it relates to this game, will it end up having an effect? I don't know. Time will tell. But head coach Tim Lester contracted COVID earlier this week. He's not going to be on the sideline for this game. He's uh, not able to be in person at practice with the Broncos this week. That's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how that's going to affect this team. But you think about the fact that they're coming off of a big win over Pitt. They also, there's kind of that thing in the back of their mind where they're looking ahead, you know, next week conference play starts. You got to go to Buffalo to take on the Bulls in conference play to open up Mac play. You don't have your head coach on the sidelines this week. It's kind of a weird spot for the Broncos. There's a part of me that thinks we might get a flat performance from them this week. Am I, do you think, am I overthinking that? I think there's one game that we can point to this year where that's happened. And that was Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin against Louisville and Ole Miss really didn't miss a beat in that game. In fact, they they had a 23 zero shutout at halftime in that game and they were performing well on both sides of the ball. If Western Michigan's coordinators perform at a high level, I think this weekend, and I know that their coordinators have a large role, I think in this team, I think that the Broncos should be fine and they have enough talent to get past San Jose state this weekend. When you have Caleb Ellaby back there at quarterback and his veteran presence, I mean, he's been throwing passes for Western Michigan as long ago as 2018. 
and he, he started a bowl game that year. When you have yeah. someone that veteran that knows the system, he probably he probably lives and breathes coach speak at this point. I know uh, Zach Carroll it felt like an embodiment of P.J. Fleck toward the end of his Western Michigan career, and I think LB should do a good job of leading the offense. And then defensively, you have a lot of guys that have been there for a long time. Ali Fayad, who had a critical sack last week on fourth down against Pitt, and then A.J. Thomas, former safety, who's moved to linebacker. When you have guys of that veteran presence, I think that should help rally the team for this game against San Jose State, and I think that the Broncos, I don't think they're going to miss too much of a beat. I, I'm sure the, the Broncos fans love to hear you say that. I'm sure they're, they're hoping the same thing. Either way, I think this is going to be a great game. One of the better non-conference matchups this year between two group of five teams. A really intriguing matchup uh, Saturday at 2 o'clock at Waldo Stadium there in Kalamazoo. Also kicking Saturday at 2 o'clock, just a little bit, uh, little bit south of Kalamazoo, Toledo traveling uh, across the state line to Muncie to take on Ball State. Steve, we mentioned it in the introduction. These are two teams right now that seem to be heading in the wrong direction. Ball State, a, uh, a five-and-a-half-point home underdog in this game, the total 56-and-a-half. Ball State's won the last two in this series, including that inexplicable 52-14 blowout that nobody saw coming last time Toledo visited Muncie in 2019. I don't know what to expect from either one of these teams right now, Steve. I'll, I'll be honest. I have no idea what I'm going to get from either one of them. I have no idea either. And I think a lot of those issues stem from the offense of both sides. I said, I thought both defenses performed solid last week, but both offenses were such a disaster. And it was, it was kind of sad to see Drew Plitt get benched after the inspiring season he had in 2020 last year as a fifth year senior, never had a winning record before and leading this team to seven straight wins in a Mac championship. And he won the MVP of the Mac championship game and Arizona bowl for the offensive side. So it was, it was sad to see him throw a pick six for the second straight week and get benched as a result of that. But it's not like John Paddock took his job last week. So we're going to see Plitt back and have another shot at redemption this week. But I think that right now I like ball state given the edge because they're at home and their recent history in the series ball state is one to know at home this year while Toledo did struggle a bit last week in the glass bowl. So I think the Cardinals have that home field advantage, which is helping them more. And I think that they have Justin Hall on their team, which could cause some problems for Toledo's defense as we saw their secondary look porous against Notre Dame here and there. But this is a tough matchup to read because neither of these teams have shown any semblance of consistency this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we have games where we see Justin Hall go off. We have games where we see Bryant Kobach go off, and then we see them limited to next to nothing the next game. So I, I don't know. This is a very tough game to read. I think it's going to be close. But I'm just going to give the Cardinals the benefit here just due to taking the series in the last two games in convincing fashion, their home field advantage. And I think I know more of what I'm getting out of Drew Plett than I do out of Toledo's quarterbacks. That's that's a fair point. And, and you know, giving Ball State almost a touchdown at home does feel like a bit much here. Um, my my. My thought on this game is that this, this feels like two teams to me where their season right now is kind of right on the brink, right? Mm -hmm. Where 
neither team has performed as they expected to thus far with Toledo's performance at Notre Dame, perhaps being a notable exception there. And with that said, though, both of these teams still have all of their goals in front of them, right? They haven't played any conference games yet. They, the, the, the goal of getting to Ford field is still very much in play, except for the team that loses this game, right? If you lose this game, that's a loss in the division and sets you back. And obviously both of them are still going to have to play Western Michigan as well. So to me, I think this game is a crucial point in the season for both of these teams. I think whichever team wins this game, you get a little bit of confidence back and you feel like, okay, we haven't played great thus far this year, but we're one and zero in the Mac. We're still taking steps to get to Ford field. The team that loses this game though, I think things could go south pretty quickly for whichever team that is. I don't know if it's going to be Ball State or Toledo, but it just feels like neither one of these teams, I don't know, something feels off about both of them. You know, you look at, you know, Toledo's box score and, and you know, watching, you know, some of the, the, the recaps of that game. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw Toledo run, uh, you know, Bryant Kobach, 13 carries for 32 yards in this game. The team, as a team, 21 yards on 28 carries. I don't like what I'm seeing from either offense right now. And um, I don't know, it just, again, I, I just feel like this is, these are two teams with kind of hanging on an edge right here. And I just worry that whichever team loses this game, I could see things going south fast for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, one team needs to win this game to get back on track and have a nice one and no start to the max season. Certainly, certainly. And uh, we're looking forward to, uh, this is the only Mac game this week move into next week and we're going to see all Mac games. So that's or just about all Mac games, I should say. So we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, to some more Mac on Mac matchups here that we can break down a couple more uh, non-conference games to get to here this week. Uh, another game that kicks on Saturday at two o'clock, the Eastern Michigan Eagles hosting the Texas state Bobcats, Eastern Michigan, a six and a half point favorite in this game. The total in Ypsilanti set at 61 and a half. Texas State, a little bit of a disappointing start to the season here for them. You mentioned earlier last week, lost 42 to 34 to Incarnate Word of the FCS. So Bobcats, a little bit of an uneven start. They they hung with Baylor in week one. They beat Florida International at Florida International in week two. And then they follow that up with last week's uh, dud against Incarnate Word. On the other side, Eastern Michigan coming off a nice 42-28 win over the uh, the uh, Minutemen of UMass, and it seems like we might have a little bit of a quarterback controversy in Ypsilanti, Steve. I was really high on Preston Hutchinson coming into the season, but it looks like Ben Bryant has kind of taken over. 14 for 21 for Ben Bryant in this game, 298 yards with touchdown, no interceptions. It seems like Ben Bryant might be the guy moving forward, Steve. Yes, I think he I think he is after starting last week and playing pretty well against UMass and he's a Cincinnati transfer had some time be working behind Desmond Ritter with that offense for a few years and also got some playing time with the Bearcats. And it's a little tough because I felt like Eastern Michigan based a lot of this decision on Preston Hutchinson's performance against Wisconsin and it's never really fair to base performances against a defense the caliber of Wisconsin. But Bryant looked like the guy, the better quarterback against St. Francis in the opening week also. And you can't really complain about him averaging 14 yards per passing attempt last week against UMass. So you're going to stick with a hot hand for now. So Bryant's going to be the guy this Saturday. 
against Texas State. And this is a game that Eastern Michigan needs to be aware of because these Bobcats, you know, it's been a tough week in practice under Jake Spavadol for them after a very disappointing loss last week after an impressive start to the season. I know Texas State, they don't have any shortage of offense and they can really hang with a lot of teams. They hung with Baylor and last year they were a field goal away from taking down Boston College. So this is a team that can surprise and scare guys a lot. And right now I'm leaning toward picking the upset pick in here. I like what Brady McBride brings to this offense. The Memphis transfer, he's a quarterback who's, as most Memphis offensive players can do, he has a potential to light up the scoreboard. And he did a lot of that in the 2020 season. And I like his star receiver, Marcel Barbie, also about two touchdowns a week ago. I think this Texas State offense can move the ball through the air at a better rate than Eastern Michigan can. So Texas State's offense is going to give me picking the Bobcats at a close one in Yipsy. Interesting. That's a, that's a, you know, I, I don't hate that pick. And, and the reason for that, I mean, obviously you look at the score, Eastern Michigan beats UMass 42 to 28 on Saturday, two touchdowns, comfortable victory. You look at the box score here though, the Eagles gave up 519 yards of offense to UMass in this game. UMass uh, starting quarterback, Brady Olson, 22 of 38, 288 yards at two touchdowns. Uh, and then one completion from Isaac Ross got the, the Minutemen over 300 yards of passing offense in this game. And then they also averaged six yards a carry, 34 carries for 206 yards. Ellis Merriweather, 23 carries for 142 of that. I, you know, the defense last year for Eastern Michigan was a bit of a problem. It seems like it's still a problem this year. The Eagles not having a ton of success stopping anyone. I mean, they gave up 34 points to Wisconsin. I'm not going to, you know, um, berate them too much for that. I mean, it's Wisconsin. But you even give up, you know, you give up 15 to St. Francis in, in, in week one of the FCS. And uh, even in that one, an FCS team gets almost uh, 300 yards on you. So I, I agree with you. Brady McBride, you know, this is a guy that slings the ball around 600 yards, four touchdowns here through the, through the first three games. And um, I also like Calvin Hill at running back for, for the Bobcats. So I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say I think Texas State wins this game, but there, this, this feels like another high-scoring game to me, and it feels like a touchdown is a little bit too much here. Yes, uh, and I don't know if high scoring game or low scoring game or what what this game is <laughs> going to be, but I do I do know that I do like Texas State for the upset in this one. Eastern Michigan just hasn't been too convincing against opponents that I think I should have taken care of in better fashion so far in St. Francis and UMass. So I'm not really feeling Eastern Michigan too much defensively this year either after allowing 28 points in that last game to the Minutemen. Can't disagree with anything you're saying there, Steve. Uh, moving on uh, to a, a really intriguing matchup, one of the the, the most intriguing non-conference matchups uh, of the week, maybe of the season for me in the MAC. Kent State, they've taken on two top ten teams, acquitted themselves pretty well both times, both at Texas A&M and at Iowa. They travel to College Park this weekend, take on uh, Talia Tagovailoa and the Maryland Terrapins. Maryland, a 14 and a half point favorite in this game, 66 and a half the total. I know I, I read your preview about this one earlier today here, Steve, and I agree with your assessment. Two great quarterbacks here. I, I really, Maryland has quietly surprised me here 
over the first couple weeks of the season. They got a, a win against West Virginia in week one, which looks better now that Western West Virginia knocked off Virginia Tech. They also didn't play great against Illinois last Friday night, but they did get the win on the road in Champaign. I like this Maryland team. I really like this Kent State team still. This is a very intriguing matchup to me. Again, Maryland, a two-touchdown favorite here. The total, the highest of the weekend in the MAC. Uh, I'm sure, I should say second highest of the weekend in the MAC. 66 and a half here. What do you think of the Golden Flash's chances going into Maryland, Steve? Wait, what's the highest? Uh, Ohio State, Akron. <laughs> six and a half. <laughs> well, uh, what do I think about this Kent State-Maryland game? I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think that Kent State has to be relieved that they're not facing a top-10 team with an elite defense for once because – there's top 10 teams, and then there's top 10 teams that bring the defenses that Texas A&M and Iowa have. I mean, look yeah. what they did in their other games. Iowa held Indiana to six, held Iowa State to 17. Texas A&M held New Mexico to zero, and they held Colorado to just seven points. These are elite defenses that Kent State's offense had to go up. And I'm, I'm not just trying to give Kent State credit just to give them credit, but this is true. Both of those games were closer than the final box score suggested. 100% agree. Yep. At halftime, Kent State was only down 10 to 3 to AM. And at halftime against Iowa, they were down 16 to 7. And about a minute before, it was just 9 to 7 in that game. There was a safety and Iowa touchdown that put them up 9 0 early. Kent State had a nice little comeback with Kashawn Abram, who I want to talk about him right now because they're, they're operating without Jay Sean Polk, their top receiver. And Kent mm -hmm. State really needs a receiver to step up. And to see Kashawn Abram, do that against Iowa's defensive backs gives me a lot of promise for this Kent State offense. Because this yes. guy, he's got wheels. He can make catches in traffic. I think he has number one receiver potential for the Golden Flashes. And I felt like Dustin Crum needed one guy to really step up this season. And it's nice to see Abram do that. But going back to the game, Kent State has to be relieved that this is a challenging opponent, but it's not a defense of Iowa and Texas A&M's caliber. Now, Maryland's done a lot of good defensive things this season. They held West Virginia to under three yards of carry. They Illinois only scored 17 points on them, and their defensive backs did a really good job at holding Illinois to a low completion percentage in that game. I think they only completed like 10 of 21 passes. But I think that Kent State's going to be able to move the ball on them, and I think this game takes a shootout form. Talia Tagovailoa and Dustin Crum, that is an elite quarterback matchup we're going to get. And Dustin Crum's not going to get enough credit for how he performed against Iowa last week because the offensive line didn't allow him to move the ball often because they sacked him seven times, and that wasn't Crum's fault necessarily. When Crum had clean pocket, he was excellent. He delivered some really difficult throws. Watch that touchdown pass to Kashan Abram. And you'll see how good of throws that Crum was delivering in that Iowa defense. Now, Tonga Valoa, he has been excellent this year. Seven touchdowns without an interception, two performances of over 300 yards, and he's really lit defenses on fire. And he has a number one receiver in Dante Dimas Jr. And that is the matchup that I want to watch most in this game is how Rakeem Jarrett and Dante Dimas, Maryland's top two receivers, perform against Elvis Hines and Montre Miller. Kent State's two cornerbacks that each have three interceptions to their name this year. Because Kent State's defensive backs have been excellent this year. And I think that's been the biggest bright spot on the team is not the offense, but the performance of the defensive backs. So when you get those guys matching up against these Maryland receivers, I think we're in for a really good performance in there. But also for Kent State's DBs, I think that Maryland actually presents more of a challenge in passing offense than AM did with a, with a freshman quarterback and more than Iowa did, and Iowa hasn't really established a passing game all year. So this will be their toughest challenge yet. 
So I'm saying Maryland 42, Kent State 37. Flashes hang around all game, but they mm. don't get the upset. And Maryland starts 4-0 for the first time since 2016. Love that pick, and, and I'm right in line with you. This this game here has has points written on it to me, a lot of points written on it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that I feel that if you're going to give an, uh, an individual award for m- most improved player in the MAC this year, it's going to be Matt McDonough from Bowling Green. I think if you were going to give that to a unit for most improved unit, it's got to be this Kent State defense. I love what I have seen from this Kent State defense, specifically the defensive backs, which you mm-hmm. mentioned. And I also want to emphasize to folks that, um, as you said, Steve, I would echo your sentiment that this game, both of these games that Kent State has played against top 10 teams have been closer than the box scores would indicate. In this game here, I mean, against Iowa, Kent State was right in this thing. It's 16 to seven at halftime. Kent State uh, crosses the 50-yard line on both of their first two drives of the second half. Kent State has the ball. It's first and goal at Iowa's one-yard line in the third quarter. They're down 16-7, to and Brian Bradford fumbles. Iowa recovers. They go 80 yards for a touchdown. It's 23-7. That's where the game flipped right there. Iowa State scores there. It's 16-7 midway through the third quarter or I'm sorry, 16-14 midway through the third quarter. And this is a completely different game. And Kent State was right there against the top five team. Now, I also agree with your assessment of saying that offensively, Maryland does present more of a challenge definitely than Iowa and, and, and probably less so than AM. I think AM's offense is definitely better than Iowa's. But me, I don't think either of them throw the ball like mm-hmm. Maryland does. Talia Tagovailoa, as you mentioned, has been really good. I think this game is going to be a little bit more of a test for this secondary than either of those other Power 5 games. Were. Not, not that they performed poorly in those games, but I think Maryland's going to try and stretch the field a little bit more. You mentioned Rakeem Jarrett, great talent. There's, this is a Maryland team that, you know, since Mike Loxley was their head coach, no, no one has ever, um, no one has ever accused Mike Loxley of being a bad recruiter. He gets talent. The Terrapins have a lot of talent all over their roster. It's just been a matter of putting all of it together. And it feels like this year, uh, things are kind of coming together for the Terrapins. I, I see some people predicting them to, you know, win eight games and go to a, a you know, bowl. I'm not sure that they'll get to eight wins in, you know, in the big 10 East, but there's a couple of very encouraging performances for the Terrapins thus far. As I mentioned, they knock off West Virginia 30 to 24 in week, uh, in week one. And uh, Talia Tagovailoa has looked really, really good thus far. I mean, completing 75.5% of his passes, almost a thousand yards and seven touchdowns, no interceptions for him thus far. So this is going to be a great game. I'm really looking forward to this one. And I think your, uh, your assessment sounds spot on. I, I would you say 42, 37, that, that feels right to me. I was thinking that like 41, yeah. 34, something like that. And, uh, and we have two games left, but before we move on one thing that Kent state really needs to do, their offense has driven down fields all season. And you mentioned that fumble that they had at the one yard line. This is a stat I put in my preview. Kent State has been within 22 yards of the end zone six times this season. They've scored three points on those six possessions and come up empty-handed five times. That's two interceptions from the 22-yard line, two missed field goals, and a fumble. Kent State needs to finish drives because they're getting first downs. They're picking those up. They're just not finishing these drives, and that's been the Flash's biggest issue. Now, 
Buffalo Old Dominion. <laughs> yes. No, I think that that uh, that's that when I read that in your preview earlier, yeah. my, my jaw dropped and I thought back and I was like, wow, you know, he's right. I mean, Kent State's all I mean, between from from, you know, between the 20 yard lines, Kent State's offense has been great. You know, and then they get down in the red zone and it seems they, they just, as you said, they haven't been able to finish drive. So if they can do that, maybe we see a golden flash upset here this weekend. Moving on, as you mentioned, Steve, Buffalo traveling down to uh, Newport News, taking on Old Dominion. Buffalo, a 13 and a half point favorite in this one, 53.5 the total. Old Dominion obviously uh, was one of the, the seven teams that canceled their season last year due to the pandemic. So they did not play in 2020. Ricky Ronnie, former Penn State offensive coordinator, was named uh, the head coach of the, the Monarchs in uh, January of 2020. Now, finally, here a year and a half later, he's getting to coach his first games. The early returns for the Monarchs this season have not been great. Uh, they have a win over FCS Hampton, sandwiched between two blowout losses to Wake Forest and Liberty. Uh, I, I don't see Old Dominion's defense being able to slow down this Buffalo rushing attack in this game, Steve. Two touchdowns feels about right to me. What, what are you thinking here? I agree with this one. And Buffalo showed enough promise against Coastal Carolina last weekend where I think that they'll be able to take care of business in the game. I think this is a get-right game for Kevin Marks to boost his confidence, get him over the century mark for the first time this season. Old Dominion does have a solid rushing defense. They're about middle of the pack right now, and they've only allowed 3.7 yards per carry this year. Quite impressive because I think that defense is the hardest thing to generate after a year off. So these guys like Jordan Young that have returned to this team, getting back into tackling form and getting into that shape, I, I've been impressed with Old Dominion in that regard. But I think Buffalo is going to be too much for them. The Bulls have a lot of talent still. I think they'll shake up off the troubles of the Nebraska game that they had. And I think they already showed signs of progress against uh, Chanticleers last week. So I'm going to say Buffalo runs the victory in this one. I also think they'll be able to force a slew of turnovers on Old Dominion, and that'll get them a nice victory. Yeah, Old Dominion uh, with, uh, you know, DJ Mack Jr., the starting quarterback, thrown three interceptions already. There's there's uh, been some fumbles mixed in there as well. So I, I agree with that. I, I feel like the the Buffalo defense in this one, uh, led by you know James Patterson and the rest of that linebacking crew, I I, I think they're going to have themselves a big game here. Uh, I think you know Ricky Ronnie. I, I I respect him. I think he's a good coach, and I, I do think Old Dominion giving him time. The, you know they they can get the ball rolling again and and uh, find themselves some success there in Conference USA, but. I don't think this is the year uh, again, you know, old dominion now sitting at one and two after a couple blowouts against Liberty and wake forest. I agree with you though, Steve, I think the, the Buffalo defense has themselves a big game in this one. And again, I think two touchdowns feels about right here. I think Buffalo uh, can, can pull away in, in this one late. Uh, this one kicks Saturday at 6 PM down in Virginia. Last game of the weekend here, uh, Akron, gets the prime time treatment from Ohio state. They travel into the horseshoe kickoff seven 30 Saturday evening in Columbus, Ohio state, a 49 and a half point favorite in this one. Uh, the, the total uh, opened up over 70. It's come down a little bit sitting at 68.5 right now. I got to throw this in there, Steve, Ohio state 34 and one all time against the Mac. That one loss back in 1894 to the Akron Zips, the Akron Zips. I'm not saying, I'm just saying there's precedent here. John Heisman <laughs> was the coach, I think. That's, you got it. That's exactly right. But uh, unfortunately here in this one, 
I, I, I don't see much success for the Zips here. I, I have been, I do, to, to, to give Akron some credit, it does seem like they have found a quarterback for the future. I really like what I've seen from DJ Irons here over these last couple of weeks for the Zips. With that said, though, I don't see them having much success in Columbus against the Buckeyes. 49 and a half, that's a lot of points. I don't know if, if they'll be able to keep it within that number, but I do know it's going to be, it's going to be somewhere in that ballpark. I saw it open at 53. I'm surprised it's that low. And it kind of made it, it was kind of funny to me that the, the spread was 53 and I saw the over under opened at like 67 and a half. I'm thinking, do they expect Akron to score 14 points? I'm like, the over -under, <laughs> under of this game is going to be what Ohio state scores plus maybe three or six points. Agree completely. This, I think this one, um, if I'm a, if I'm a Zips fan and I'm, you know, I'm, I want to see this game. I, like, I, I feel like this one plays out very similarly to how Akron's week one matchup mm -hmm. played out against Auburn, right? Where Auburn goes up, you know, 37, nothing at halftime. Akron gets a garbage time touchdown in the fourth quarter, 60 to 10 is your final score. I don't know if Ohio state's offense is going to be able to put up 60 points um, they, there, there seems to be some things that they're trying to figure out there, uh, on both sides of the ball, honestly, Ohio state did not look great last week against Tulsa took them uh, quite a while to pull away from, from the golden hurricane. And even that, you know, that final score 41 20, I don't think really, um, demonstrates how close this game was. I mean, Tulsa in this game mm -hmm. over 500 yards of total offense. That is not something I think anyone anticipated Davis Brin starting quarterback 31 54, 428 passing yards against this Ohio state secondary Ohio state quarterback, CJ Stroud, 185 uh, yards, passing a touchdown and an interception. Things don't seem to be quite right in Ohio in uh, Columbus right now. Obviously that loss to Oregon a couple weeks ago, followed up by a less than inspiring uh, performance against Tulsa. But again, nonetheless, this is still a very, very tall mountain to climb for the zips. I think if the zips keep this under, you know, if the final margin, they keep this under 40. I think you look at this as a victory. Mm -hmm. You know who I'm getting, who I want to start comparing DJ irons to who's that when Kent state was still bad at the beginning of the 2019 season and Dustin Crumb still looked good. That's that's the vibes I'm getting from him because he's second in the country in accuracy right now. Yeah, he, he went 13 of 13 on Auburn. He has 76% completion percentage right now. And he's a dual threat quarterback. He ran for 136 yards last week. And with the accuracy and the running ability, and he accounted for four touchdowns last week. I'm like, okay, maybe he can develop into a premier Matt quarterback in a two years from now or something because I like what I've seen from so far. There's not too much. There's not a lot of great developed talent around him and Akron's still working on developing players, but I think he's a very good raw quarterback at the moment for the zips. Obviously this week's going to be a rough one for him. Ohio state yeah. tends to do that for opponents, but I think we're going to see games in that play where they can win just off of irons dual threat abilities and, his ability to move this offense because this Akron offense already looks worlds better than it did in 2019 and 2020. So you got to credit irons to that, but Ohio state's offense, they're going to put up over 50 points. They found this new star running back last week and freshman Trevion Henderson, who rushed for 277 yards and three touchdowns. We saw what CJ Stroud could do throwing for almost 500 yards on Oregon, throwing for about 300 yards and four long touchdowns on Minnesota. So Ohio State's just going to put up the points and 
it's just going to be a game of Akron to collect the check and hopefully make it out healthy. <laughs> yes, agreed. And, you know, I, you, you mentioned DJ Irons. I think looking at this Akron team, you want to talk about signs of progress. There's a lot of young talent on the team, especially on offense, that I've really liked what I've seen here over the first couple of weeks. You mentioned uh, DJ Irons and his completion percentage, you know, completing 76% of his passes. He's also dual threat, leading the team in rushing, 165 rushing yards. And then on the outside, you got sophomore wide receiver Michael Matheson, who has had a great start to the season. He had seven catches for 68 yards against Auburn, followed that up with eight catches for 101 yards against Temple. And then in the backfield, true freshman John Zell Norrells he's had his moments only averaging 3.2 yards per carry here but uh, but regardless you know he is their second leading rusher uh, a lot of young talent on this Zips offense right now so I I hate to say it because I, I am a big Cato Nelson fan and I think he, what he's done for the Zips program has been great especially sticking around these last couple years when things have been lean but if I'm coach Tom Arthur and I'm thinking about the future, DJ Irons is my quarterback for the rest of the year. I'm going to feed, you know, I'm going to get John Zell Norris a bunch of carries. I'm going to feed Michael Matheson on the outside. I'm going to see if this offensive line can continue to develop. And it seems like things similar to Bowling Green. It seems like things are starting to move in the right direction there in Northeast Ohio for the Zips. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to have a much better season this year. I don't think that's going to start this week though, unfortunately. I think uh, it's a tough mountain to climb for the Zips heading down to Columbus. So that's our last game on the docket here this week, folks. Uh, that one kicking off 7.30 Saturday night in Columbus. Before we get out of here, Steve, uh, one of my favorite parts of the show, I, I love hearing your games of uh, games on the radar, on your radar this weekend outside of the Mac. I've got a couple that I'm looking at as well. Uh, what else are you looking at here this Saturday? There's a couple really intriguing matchups this week. Curious to get your thoughts uh, where your where your eyeballs will be this Saturday. I love this week's 11 a.m. slate. Notre Dame Wisconsin is going to draw the most eyeballs as that's the game day game. Though I really wish it was at Camp Randall instead of Soldier yeah. Field. That Penn State Auburn game showed how cool it is to have home and homes for non-conference rather than just do a one-off game in a neutral site. There's a couple other games. I do think LSU Mississippi State could be pretty intriguing. Mississippi State looking for a bounce back after that loss over Memphis. And Mississippi State took down LSU last year on SEC's opening week. So I like that game too. But the the game that really strikes my eye in the 11 a.m. slate is actually on FS1. It's the battle for the iron skillet, SMU versus TCU, yeah. a great rivalry in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You have SMU who just won off a Hail Mary, a beautifully executed Hail Mary, where a receiver batted the ball to Reggie Roberson in the end zone. I haven't seen that strategy often where you have one receiver outside of the, uh, outside of the, the pile in the end zone and the strategy is to bat the ball to him rather than go up and catch it. So I thought that was interesting how SMU won the game. And TCU, Max Duggan, a nice read option quarterback, kind of like a Jordan Lynch light that the Horn Frogs have. I think that could be a very fun game at the Carter this weekend. Looking down the schedule, I do like the Boise State-Utah State game on CBS, but I, I do think Boise wins that game. I think Utah State has benefited from – a nice get a nice easy schedule so far although the yeah. one over air force is impressive but i think that the broncos won that game let's look down at the schedule texas a&m arkansas a&m has not lost to arkansas since joining the sec but this is the best arkansas team they've probably faced in that time span so 
It's number seven versus number 16. I think AM still has Zach Calzada, the backup quarterback, running the show there. So it's that's going to be an interesting game in Arlington in the neutral site area. So some early SEC West. In the, if Arkansas wins that game, they might be pushing on the top 10, which kind of sounds weird to hear. Yeah. And then let's do I'll, I'll throw in maybe two more games. I really like UTSA Memphis. That's another undefeated matchup. Memphis beat Mississippi State last week on the heroics of Calvin Austin, one of the best receivers in college football. He scooped up that punt return and took it 95 yards to the house when Mississippi State thought the play had blown dead. The referee tried to blow the play dead, and the other referees didn't acknowledge it, and the SEC just released a giant statement about it. But Memphis is undefeated right now. The Roadrunners are the only undefeated team in CUSA. That should be a fun one. And let's finish with let's finish with UCLA Stanford. I hate that this game's on Pac-12 Network. UCLA shaking off a loss to Fresno State, but I think that the Bruins still have a lot of talent in their offense. I like their two running backs in Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet. And Stanford has shown offensive strides the last two weeks with Tanner McKee as a starting quarterback, dropping over 40 points in consecutive weeks. They have a lot of big receivers on the Stanford team that that can get those 50-50 jump balls. And I think this is going to be a fun game in the Pac-12 with Stanford and UCLA. I think Stanford's won like 10 out of the last 11 against the Bruins. So that'll be a fun matchup there. How about you? Yeah, it is a shame that that game's on uh, on the Pac-12 network. And I also, I don't know what to do now that we can't blame Larry Scott for that. <laughs> we, we can't say fire Larry Scott anymore. So, so who do we blame? I don't know. I guess... We'll just have to figure out who, who the new scapegoat's going to be. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned some great games there. A couple that uh, are really interesting to, uh, to me, I, I'm a, a team that has really piqued my interest here over the first couple weeks of the season. I can't get a great read on them, but I think that the, underneath the inconsistency, I think there's a really good team there. And it's Kansas State. I'm really curious to see what Kansas State's going to do going into Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. A couple of really nice wins for Kansas State thus far. Obviously, knocked off Stanford in week one. And then last week, knocked off Nevada, who is one of the better teams in the group of five, or at least in the Mountain West this year. So I'm curious to see what Kansas State's going to do and how they're going to handle being ranked now as they snuck into the polls this week at number 25. One other game that I'm going to mention right here, And I'm going to go on record here on the podcast. I'm going to put, this is going to be my upset special pick of the weekend. Western Kentucky is going to beat Indiana. Oh, I can see it. Bailey, I I love this Western Kentucky offense. And as good as they've been on offense, Indiana has been just about that, just that bad. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. does not seem like the same guy this year. He seems very injury prone. That game, eight o'clock primetime kick in, uh, in Bowling Green there. I could see the Hilltoppers knocking off uh, Indiana in this one. I don't know. Indiana is a team, another team to me. You know, we talked about Ball State and Toledo just seeming off so far. Indiana is the same way, but I think even even worse. I, the, the Hoosiers, to me right now, have not looked like a good football team through three weeks. I, even, I thought they were super overrated in 2020 also. I mean, their only I, winning I record yes. they beat was Wisconsin. I remember putting Ole Miss toward the top of my bold mania locks. I'm saying, yes, four and five Ole Miss is going to beat this one loss Indiana team. And I'm not going to be shocked at all when it happens. 
And I yeah. think Indiana deserved to be ranked heading into the season. So that Iowa performance was nothing unexpected for me. So I, I can definitely see Bailey Zappi in this air raid offense at WKU taking down the Hoosiers this weekend. As you mentioned, great slate of games this weekend. Really looking forward to all of it. Uh, Going to be a great weekend. Some some awesome matchups in the MAC. As always, I am Zach Folidor. He is Steve Helwick. Thanks so much for stopping by this week, folks. This has been episode 64 of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football, and we will talk to you here next week.